Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Pop Culture Nerd Podcast. Today, I am delighted to welcome back my resident movie expert, Vincent Simpson, onto the show to discuss all things in movies and television. It's been a while since we did one of these, uh, since the podcast has been pretty much focused on music the last few months. Uh, So for today's show, and hopefully moving forward, we will be giving you some movie news, reactions, and then discussing a relevant topic later on in the show which today is a ranking of the jordan peele trilogy get out us and most recently nope if you like the podcast you can find pop culture nerd on spotify apple and google Podcasts. and the best place to reach out to us if you have questions or you'd like to suggest a topic is popculturenerd2 at gmail.com so without further ado let us get right into it and say hello to my good pal our resident movie expert vincent simpson how are you today I'm doing just fantastically. It's uh, great to be back. It's been a while, so I'm glad to, you know, come on in and just discuss and see how, since it's been a while, like my taste has flourished and I've, you know, I've graduated from school and I'm just, you know, getting into this world a little bit more. Yes, as a graduate of college, now you have more authority to talk about these things. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get right into it then, Vincent. (laughs) So let's start off with our new topic and our new segment which is going to be doing movie news. We've kind of stayed away from that recently and just stuck to the topics that we like to discuss. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on some of the latest headlines. The biggest right now, sort of the breaking news from today when we're recording this, is that Hugh Jackman is coming back to reprise his role as Wolverine in Deadpool 3. Does this surprise you? And what does this mean going forward? I don't think it surprises me because he has he still has a huge draw because aside from Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, I have to say like, okay, so like aside from Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool and Patrick Stewart as Professor X, like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is like basically the face of that franchise. And I get that it's a much better investment to have the older actors come in as established by like, you know, um, Professor X showing up in the new Doctor Strange or like have like certain fan casts be like a part of it, which is why they got John Krasinski to show up in Doctor Strange as well. And that's what I think they're going to start doing with like these new now that now that Disney has bought Fox and they're starting to segue the Fantastic Four and the X-Men into the MCU. I think what they're going to try and do is just like take some of the people from the original films and just like sort of plant them in. And just like have them just go ahead, which I'm not typically all that excited about. I think, especially considering Logan is such a great cap off to that character. And I get that it probably takes place before Logan, but I just think it it just it's a part of this weird cycle to me. And it sort of it 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 permeates through pretty much every franchise now that you can't have new actors playing these roles. You need to just keep getting the same people back out of all the, like, they couldn't even get, like, a new actor for James Earl Jones, like, for Obi-Wan, they brought back, they they made, like, an AI device to just imitate James Earl Jones, and just, like, get a new actor to voice the character, like. That's kind of where I stand as well. I, I'm, as you know, not typically a huge fan of, like, MCU movies, even though I've seen pretty much all of them, and I've seen most of the X-Men movies, but Hugh Jackman, to me, is by far, probably the biggest draw of x-men even um like ryan reynolds is obviously a huge draw in deadpool but that's kind of spun off into its own echo chamber of its own genre 
Um, Hugh Jackman, everyone knows is Wolverine. Like my parents know is Wolverine. <laughs> Everyone's mm-hmm. parents know is Wolverine, even if they haven't seen a movie. And I think this is good. Like, I think it was definitely a huge sticking point for bringing a Deadpool three to, I guess it's going to come out in theaters and then on Disney plus and be Disney Plus's first R rated movie, supposedly. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were desperate to have Hugh Jackman in this movie. So they probably offered him an offer of money that he couldn't refuse. So I'm happy to see him back in a way, but I'm also just wondering what this means about the future of any of their cinematic universes. I think that it's just a lot of member berries as you so fondly like to say. Yeah. It's, it's a huge purveying thing, especially in Marvel now that they're just, especially, and they're not going to stop anytime soon because no way home was like so successful for marvel and disney and like a lot of people liked it but like the the i think if i mean if they're able to do it in a similar way to no way home and like actually have them feel like the same characters and have it like be respectful towards that then it'll be fine but i don't just want marvel to be that like marvel needs to branch out and do other things like it can't just be like guys daredevil is gonna show up in she hulk i promise like (laughs) i know just watching for cameos is not the way that I want to watch those movies. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to our next topic, one that's really near and dear to me, probably my favorite animated series of all time is Avatar The Last Airbender. Grew up Same. watching it, had that uh, big renaissance on Netflix during the COVID summer of 2020. Um, a live action series was announced following that after Netflix purchased the rights to the animated show. And much of the new cast... Uh, was revealed today, including George Takai, who will be uh, playing Ko the Face Dealer, which is one of my favorite parts of the finale of season one of Avatar. Very small role, but really stood out to me as one of the best. And it's funny, George Takai played several voices along the way in the original animated series. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be playing what is clearly a CGI character. Um, Ko the Face Dealer is this big, like, centipede looking guy with faces that change so it's interesting to see how that'll come about we also have danny pudi playing an unconfirmed role of course he was a star in community and they joined gordon cormier as ang um, we also have castings for zuko katara Sokka, and azula which were already there also daniel day kim playing fire lord ozai so it looks like they've pretty much rounded out their cast um are you an avatar fan vincent I watched it a lot when I was a kid. I was very passionate about it when I was younger. I was about to get back into it when COVID happened, but I just, I don't know. I just stopped watching it halfway through season two. I still love season one a lot. I think overall it has so much to offer, but I just, I need to get back into it. It's just one of those things where I just, I have so many different shows on my plate and I can never like commit to watching anything unless it's like the Sopranos. So like... (laughs) Yeah, I, my favorite shows of all time are shows that have a, an amazing overarching plot, but then also you can vis- revisit each episode. So yeah. like you have Sopranos, for example, which has a great plot overall, but you can watch it as an episodic television show as opposed to a lot of today. A lot of great shows, you know, binge worthy shows, you're just getting through every episode and you don't remember anything standing out as its own particular episode that's never been the case with avatar you can revisit so many moments it doesn't really matter where they fall along the way um but it's it's a great show the thing that worries me about this is that the creators like what happened in the last airbender many years ago 
the original creators of Avatar left over creative differences pretty early on in this process. That worries me. Um, I'm afraid that this is going to be another Cowboy Bebop or one of the many other Netflix animated live action adaptations that crash. Um, we'll see. It seems like they're pumping a lot of money into it and it's a really great cast. I love that they're, you know, representing each character truly. <laughs> it's They're not whitewashing it like the last airbender did sadly oh yeah um so i hope this will be i hope this will be good but i'm coming to the point the more the older i get and i've always sort of felt this way but when i was younger i always wanted to see my favorite things redone and have a life passed from when i watched them nowadays i'm just like leave it be <laughs> leave yeah. it be it was great while it lasted we don't need to be doing this um i enjoyed cora also maybe just build more on that world you don't need to yeah, like make a new thing. Make a new magic. thing in that universe. Like I, this is like completely unrelated, but I think I just started watching Andor, which is like the first Star Wars thing that I've enjoyed in like forever. And it's thank you, it's, me it too. It's nothing like anything Star Wars has put out in like the last ten years, and it's great. It's like it's not even like I'm just so glad that we're getting something from that franchise that's just so different and still works. And I just think if we can, if the creators of the Avatar The Last Airbender show on Netflix are able to do that uh, with those same characters. I think that would be interesting, like maybe expand on stuff they didn't really expand upon in the original show. But like at the same time, it's like if it's specifically a reboot, I feel like they're probably going to more cap in on nostalgia and like doing certain things like pretty much either the exact same way or doing it maybe more with the modern sensitivity, even right. though like Avatar The Last Airbender is like a pretty ahead of its time show like absolutely and for me the one of the reasons why andor is so good you always hear this weird notion from star wars fans that i don't understand of it doesn't feel like star wars when they talk about things and i'm like it's what good. is that <laughs> um i think it's good too and i really enjoy andor i think it's got an edge to it that isn't present in a lot of star wars i think it's very well yeah. acted i think of a that... star wars property that's like not taking inspiration from kurosawa or like sergio leone and instead right. is like let's just do blade runner and i'm like Fuck yeah. And the other thing that I love about it is this was something that, you know, fans weren't clamoring for, but that means that the person who wrote it really is passionate about the project. There's so yeah, many exactly. things that Disney makes because the fans are clamoring for it. And obviously you like that they, you know, are engaging with the fans and making what they want, but that means that they're just assigning a writer and a director who have no passion or no idea for a plot. And they're like, okay, come up with this. In this case, it's clearly someone who, you know, was a part of Rogue One, really liked what they did and wants to build off of it in a prequel. Yeah. So I really enjoy that. Anyway, yeah, moving forward. got all forward. the people who, like, worked on Nightcrawler as well. Oh, like really? Andor. Yeah. And yeah I'm just like, I love Nightcrawler. Well, yeah, I mean, that even though if that was the case, I would have been, like, still, like, apprehensive because, like, the guys who worked on Obi-Wan Kenobi, they, like, worked on Drive and Collateral, which are, like, two of my favorite movies. And I'm like, this feels nothing like those movies because those had like stories that they wanted to tell <laughs> but when you plug a director and a writer who have done previous good work we've seen it with the mcu into yeah. the disney sort of model like whether it be uh just overarching big producers like kathleen kennedy um mm -hmm. or whoever else is in charge now over there in the in the star wars wing i mean they have their own model so they're going to be sort of guiding you through the process and and oftentimes stymieing <laughs> your yeah, creative exactly. interests so well, I, I don't know and, and i'm not one of those people who bashes kathleen kennedy it seems like a lot of people do but 
I'm happy yeah. to see it. All right, moving forward. We're going to go on to talk a little bit about two movies which just came out, one that you've seen and then one that we'll be discussing because I'm not sure that I want yeah. to see it. Uh, tell me your <laughs> thoughts on Blonde, the Anna de Armas, uh, Marilyn Monroe vehicle. Oh, my Christ. Um, so, yeah, I literally just like finished it a couple hours ago. It's over two and a half hours. It's almost a three-hour film. It's by far one of the most insane tonally inconsistent like movies I've ever seen but at the same time I was kind of captivated by how just ballsy this director is this director like took a figure that like everybody knows and just decided to make like go full like fire David Lynch Twin Peaks fire walk with me with this like individual and just like make something that's so like the best word to describe the movie is it's angry it's a really angry movie and I don't know like I, I didn't enjoy the experience of it, but I acknowledge there's a lot of craft in it. Ana de Armas does like a really great job. There's just a lot of like, it's the same director as um, Killing Them Softly, which I know you've seen. And it's very much one of, it, it feels very similar to Killing Them Softly. I think Killing Them Softly is a lot better mostly because it's shorter, but it's very much like these are, films that are made by Australians that are basically critiques of America and American culture and all of these like systems that have been put in place by all of these horrible human beings and how people get sucked into it. And that's very much like what Andrew Dominic like does with his stories. And I think that's very emblematic in this movie. I think the best part of it, I think 100% is uh, the score by Nick Cave I think he did an absolutely fantastic job with the music. It's very reminiscent of stuff like Joker and like other stuff, not even just in terms of the score, the movie itself feels very much like Joker. It's not as good as Joker, but like, because Joker, I think has a much more tonally consistent through line. And I think it's, it's a lot more just like showing certain things building up. Whereas blonde is more just a collection of, artsy looking scenes the thing about it is i'm not sure how much of it was actually accurate to real life because it's not based on any like biographies or like autobiographies right. or anything it's based on a book that's like a fictional retelling of her life so that's the other thing that's very interesting about the movie is it's not one of those like it's not really even a biopic it doesn't even say like based on a true story at the beginning of the movie like most of the characters don't even refer to each other as their name like when Joe DiMaggio shows up, Marilyn Monroe constantly refers to her as daddy. So, like... <laughs> yeah. It's such a I don't know. Film. Obviously, I haven't seen it yet. I'm really curious to watch it. It's out on Netflix, right? It is on Netflix, yeah. So... It's also NC-17, which is another, like, crazy thing about it. Like, a huge mainstream movie that people are talking about that's NC-17. Like, that never happens. <laughs> True. Well, moving on, we'll talk a little bit about uh actually why don't we talk about don't worry darling because that's another Ooh. one that you've seen that i have not uh yeah. i've sort of steered clear because of all the chaos surrounding their public relations although the more and more i think about it the more i think some of it might have been a stun i think it's but... definitely a little overblown most movies have like crazy ass like behind the scenes production stories like <laughs> I hate to keep going back to Star Wars, but I love those behind the scenes videos of like the prequels where everything is just an absolute like mess. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, I mean, when you're in Hollywood, you have a lot of insane characters, like mm -hmm. crazy people and people who are, you know, I mean, film actors and movie stars are notoriously 
not nice to one another. Yeah. So the fact that all these stories are coming out, it doesn't like completely shock me in the way that it seems like it does some. That being said, it seems like a very leaky movie and a very leaky process for some reason. Um, hmm. And that interests me a lot. I've been on top of it quite a bit. Uh, the thing that just annoys me is, I, I don't know, it's getting so much attention and it seems like it was a really rough process. But as many have pointed out, it just feels a little bit soulless to me in some ways. Like it's sort of a recapturing of who we're going to be talking about later on. Well, the thing about it is because like Jordan Peele with Get Out was very much trying to emulate stuff like the Stepford Wives, which is um, definitely something that Don't Worry Darling takes inspiration from. The, the thing I can say about Don't Worry Darling is it's probably worse than Blonde, but I enjoy the experience of watching it a lot more. I think it's like... Don't worry, darling. It's basically an amalgamation of like so many different movies. There's like there's hints of the Matrix. There's stuff with like the Truman Show. Lots of like allegory of the cave based like storylines that form to make this movie. And it's very much just a, it's it's a it's a total jumble of a bunch of different ideas that just doesn't work all the time. But like at the same time, I didn't hate the experience of watching it. Like I thought obviously Florence Pugh killed it everybody killed it except for Harry Styles like he was genuinely like terrible but the weirdest thing about that was when I was in the theater it was like a bunch like it was packed with like a bunch of Harry Styles fans and every time he opened his mouth they either clapped or laughed at him it was really strange like <laughs> it's so funny because it seems like his it, one of the things that I actually kind of enjoy about it is it seems like his diehard supporters I was expecting them to be like defending him to the hilt in this movie yeah, it no. seems like they're actually like embracing how bad he is and they're like yeah. laughing and happy at it which is yeah, kind of cool I mean yeah as long as you like acknowledge like yeah his talent is in singing and <laughs> like songwriting not in acting but yeah the entire when I there's a reveal in the film that I don't want to spoil because I don't really want to just delve into spoilers for the movie but there's a specific reveal with Harry Styles's character and then when you get to that point you're like okay this part was clearly written for Shia LaBeouf like <laughs> that's the main caveat of his character is that you can tell the part was written for somebody older and less attractive than him like <laughs> well moving on from that let's get into our next segment which is going to be this weeks or this past weekend's domestic box office i'm going to just list you the top five and then sort of run through the other highlights of the list so starting off the movie we were just talking about don't worry darling it's number one at 19 million followed by the woman king number two at 11 million then avatar's re-release which is at 10 million so number yeah. three on the box office <laughs> is a re-release all right great more money uh barbarian at number four that's at 4.8 million and number five is see how they run. That's a 1.9 million. Some other highlights of this. I noticed Top Gun Maverick still in the top 10 at 1.6 million, making a ton of money. Uh, and then number 10 still in the top 10, Minions, the Rise of Crew, about just over a million. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I ha I've seen uh, one, two, three, four of these. So actually, no, five. I, I saw Minions, The Rise of Gru as well for some reason. I don't know why I watched it. I was just bored one day. But one yeah. random movie on here that I notice uh, is just below the top 10 that I'm really looking forward to seeing is Moon Age Daydream, the new David Bowie documentary, yeah. which I heard is a trip. And yeah, I would I really like wild. to see an IMAX. Yeah, me too. 
It's the, um, the hardest part of it is like I'm pretty sure all the IMAX places are like in the city, and I hate just going into the city just to watch a movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It's it's a process. Uh, but as a commuter, I get it. <laughs> um, well, we also actually no, one one that I skipped over that I know you saw is number seven, Bullet Train. Uh, that's mm. still in the top ten. I, I've heard it didn't make back quite what they were hoping for. What were your thoughts on that movie? I actually really enjoy Bullet Train. It's probably like one of my favorite movies of the year i think out of most of those like clones we've gotten of john wick in the past like 10 years or so it's definitely one of the best i think just the the way that it it it's one of those movies that actually i i appreciate it getting as much attention as it did because a it's an r-rated movie that's not a part of a franchise that's like getting a decent amount of attention and it's also an action movie where like the comedy and the themes are actually like in conjunction with the story and not like at odds with it, which is just something I find so rare, especially now that like so many of these Marvel movies are just pumping this type of like action comedy stuff out. I think bullet train really like does some stuff with it. Like bullet train is very like, it's kind of like a Guy Ritchie movie a lot of the time. It very is reminiscent of that. And I'm glad that we we've gotten something in that vein that's doing really successful again. We've had a good summer of movies and not necessarily a good summer of like, you know, indie cult classic movies, like just well-crafted movies, but like a lot of like mainstream good action movies. Yeah. 2022. I I was talking to my dad yesterday. I literally just went to go see Bullet Train again yesterday with my dad because he wanted to see it. And like I was talking to him, I was like, yeah, 2022 is like a really good year for action. Like just in general, I think most of the action movies that have come out this year are just really well put together. Like they feel like real films, mm-hmm. like there there's like sets and like the lighting isn't like super low contrast with like no strong black hues in terms of how every shot is like framed and colored. Like there's creativity in it and there's good storytelling, which I appreciate. <laughs> All right. Well, going off of that box office, we talked about a couple of these movies in that, you know, run there. I see Nope is on the list as well. Uh, We'll now go into our quick favorites of this past year. We've only got, what, six months in so far. We've got a long way to go before Oscar season takes over and we have a lot of favorites (laughs) and a lot of least favorites. But I'll just give a quick rundown of my favorites so far of the year. I think we have some similar ones. I have everything everywhere all at once. Nope, the Jordan Peele horror movie. Batman, the Robert Pattinson vehicle, uh, Better Call Saul, its final season, House of the Dragon, which isn't quite done yet, but so far has been capturing my Sunday nights, and I'm reading Game of Thrones right now, so I'm a little biased. The Boys season three, which was probably my favorite season of television in a while, and then this is kind of bordering on a year ago, but Succession season three remains in my top. I, I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have not gotten super far into Succession. I haven't seen the House of the Dragon either. But yeah, I love the boys season three. I would say out of my favorites of the year, I think most people are in agreement that everything everywhere has basically like stolen like definitely the, uh, the, the position of like most people's favorites of the year. It's like the highest rated movie on Letterboxd right now. And it's like most people have are in pretty much agreement that it's like just a really well-crafted film that just has so much to offer. And yeah, Better Call Saul is definitely up there. I'd say Top Gun Maverick, 100%. I've seen it like three or four times now. I think that's a movie that really just takes everything about the original film 
and just improves on every single aspect of it. I think it's one of those movies that just it embraces all of its shortcomings and just like fixes them, you know. Then I got obviously the Batman, Nope, Prey, which I also highly recommend. It's a prequel to Predator. I think a lot of people really loved it and I think it's got a lot to offer. It's like the best Predator movie since the original film. And um Under the Banner of Heaven, uh, the mini series starring Andrew Garfield, which I watched specifically because my dad was like actively living in Salt Lake City when all that shit happened. Like, it's very interesting to him. Uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, great little movie for people who live in New Jersey and are just graduating from college. Uh, uh, Unbearable Way to Massive Talent, the Nick Cage movie where he plays himself. Uh, really fun action. And yeah, Bullet Train again. I love Bullet Train. <laughs> and I believe um, Under the Banner of Heaven is based on a Krakauer book. Um, and Krakauer is a, an amazing author. If you haven't read him, I highly recommend because... He does some of the best investigative journalism of any modern day author. Yeah, um, my dad's really deep thing. dives. Yeah, and that's a great series. Book. They were very faithful to his book. I really enjoyed that series too. Didn't quite crack my top, but it, it was so, I mean, scary mm-hmm. is one word, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. also Horrifying. a really interesting character study too of what it means to grow up in a, you know, sort of homogeneous area where everything is kept internal. And you're yeah. kind of struggling with what you know is just and right versus what your church is telling you is just and right. And it's it's really, really an interesting plot. And, and I highly recommend people watch it. It's also, again, as we said, based on a true story. And I think it's a really important thing for people to know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And finally, we're going to get to our last and probably the longest topic we'll talk about today, our debate of the Jordan Peele trilogy, <laughs> his horror trilogy, a renaissance of horror in many ways. Us, nope, and get out. Not in any particular order, but maybe in my favorite order. Um, nope, of course, was the most recent to come out this summer. It stars Kiki Palmer, Daniel Kaluuya, Stephen Yoon, Brandon Perea, and many others. It's a critical success, but not quite as high ratings as his other two movies, um, though it did gross quite a bit at the box office. Not quite as much as Us, which was a, a smash hit at the time what are your thoughts just starting out on nope before we delve into his previous two films well i love nope to be honest i think uh that's my hot take is that i think it's his best movie i think it's just uh, and i want to put it in a little big asterisk because i am a big fan of movies that are about making movies but i do think that it uses that like theme as a branching out points to discuss a lot of very interesting things about the industry and just discuss a lot of things about consumerism and like media consumption in general i think the way that the movie explores its story through its themes and through its characters and through its plot is by far the best in this movie that he's done i think what he's what he's tried to capture in that film is just really brilliant in my opinion I loved Nope. I think it's amazing. I think it is by far his most visually stunning movie. Mm, I think its yeah. camera work is amazing. I think it probably also had the highest budget. Um, but the cinematography is fantastic. The music is fantastic. Hoyt Van Hoytema to do the cinematography. He typically works on the, the Nolan movies. He so. brought back his uh, the person who does his scores, who is fantastic as well. I'm blanking on the name. Um, oh, Michael Abels. Michael Abels, yeah, he, he does a great job. I always remember that 
those chords at the very beginning of get out always stuck out to me while they're Mm -hmm. driving he's a really great um up-and-coming artist and i think this is just another great horror movie from him that has a a really clear-cut message if i had to pick one scene that was by far my favorite it was definitely the gordy's home sequences Mm -hmm. i think it was a really good message about the way that we exploit hollywood um and exploit animals in hollywood but honestly exploit people too i think it was a message about the way that we treat everyone in the film industry and the way that it kind of churns out people and then throws them back into the real world um and you can see that evidently in the way that steven yoon's character grows up to treat the alien um what was Mm -hmm. the alien called again jean jacket they named it after the the horse that emeralds kiki palmer's character was supposed to tame until they put the horse on scorpion king so it's really just a fantastic movie all around. Um, it looks beautiful. I also really enjoy the sequence where um, I wear my sunglasses at night is sort of like <laughs> wound down in a slow way. And then that side character um, played by Brandon Perry, uh, Perea is sort of like freaking out. I really enjoyed that sequence as well. For me, it was not his most cohesive movie i think if i had to rate it it would be behind his other two but that should not take away from how much i enjoyed the movie in fact the longer i sit on it the more i think about how much i liked it when i first saw it i sort of left the theater slightly disappointed thinking that was me too yeah thinking i i didn't quite get everything but then i didn't and it wasn't one of those movies where i went home and like watched videos and was like oh now i get it i just sat on it for a little bit and was thinking about it replaying it in my head and and the more i started talking about it to other people i was like you know i'm like the way i'm saying this is the hallmark that i really enjoyed it so Mm -hmm. um for me i'd put that at three sadly i think my number one has to be get out just because it's just so the, the script is just so tight it's clear that he was working on it for years um, I think it's probably his best true suspense movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put Us second. Us was I had one of the best theater experiences I've ever had seeing any movie. I saw it in a crowded theater in the city, and it was like one of the first nights it came out. We were all like, you know, shouting at the screen. The entire theater was clapping and cheering and crying and laughing at the same time, and it was amazing. Nope, I also had a very good theater experience, but it wasn't quite the same. And and I think I'd put that at three i i need to i need to rewatch it i need to see an imax might help me um Hmm. but that's where i'm at right now i'd go get out us nope what about you vincent (laughs) so yeah my ranking would definitely be nope get out and then us i think i've i've discussed this with some of uh with some of our friends before how like us is definitely my least favorite of the three i still think it has a lot to appreciate about it i just think in terms of us it is out of the three films the one that furthest leans into thematic resonance rather than also consistency with how characters in the plot are written because i what i like in terms of writing especially with nope is that i think the themes work perfectly in conjunction with the characters in the plot it feels like peel put as much effort into those two things as he did with the themes and I think the best example of like how he wrote characters is definitely probably Get Out. I think just because the protagonist of Chris, he is just so well-rounded and complex. He has so much to him, like as a character and even like the villains, like Rose and the Armitage family, like they're very complex too. They have a lot of like really like intense, like 
characterization that's all like kind of shrouded but then when you like go back and like see more of it like the thing that i also think is missing from us that's present in get out and nope is the um the the fact that he doesn't blow the twist so early i think with the first two movies the reveal at the beginning is pretty much like you basically know what's going on from like the get-go at that point whereas with nope i think that reveal that he's been that steven yun jupe has been feeding the horses to jean jacket he doesn't just unload all of his like the the me surviving the gordy's home incident gave me the uh hubris i needed to tame nature and he, he doesn't say any of that which i feel like if it was like us he would definitely just like say that because there's that scene in us that i absolutely despise that's just the scene of red explaining the point of the movie to like to adelaide and I think it works in Get Out specifically because they have a reason for it in the text is like Stephen Root is talking to uh, Daniel Kaluuya and he says, we need you to understand every single thing about how the procedure works. Otherwise, the procedure is not going to work. Like we need to explain like how the brain transplants like function. I think one of the reasons why Nope has a lower audience score than those two movies is because um, sadly for like the way we see movies now sadly yeah. to they didn't like spoon feed the audience or yeah, peel didn't yeah. spoon feed the audience what everything means um mm -hmm. which i appreciate and that's why sitting on it longer and longer i like it more and more yeah. because when you first leave you're like what but then you start to understand okay yeah what everything means um for me us i would give us a little bit more credit only in the sense that i think in a lot of ways it was not trying to be like it was trying to be different than get out because he had spent so much time with this script and since it was yeah. his first you know real um obviously a keanu but this was like his <laughs> first real delving into <laughs> into movies and into um horror yeah and he had spent so much time with that script i think he was ready for like a quick turnaround you know horror classic movie um that would just be would be us and i really enjoyed that i also think that they all had amazing performances but lupita nyong'o's performance is the one that sticks out to me quite lupita a bit because, amazing in that film. i mean She's she was incredible i've never heard of someone being snubbed more for like an oh my god absolutely say well that was also the same year that midsummer came out and florence Pugh wasn't nominated for that either so it makes no sense to me and it, it's, thankfully <laughs> yeah they do and thankfully that seems to be like kind of changing we'll see what happens with nope um yeah we'll when see. things come around because now underrated nope was so funny it was like one of the funniest yeah movies. yeah yeah the other thing about it that i love in comparison to get out and us is get out is very much like psychological horror us is like slasher thriller type like very um very like gothic but nope is kind of like action adventure slash western which i actually really love like it has nothing to do with like horror it's like taking it back to like the original blockbuster jaws because i rewatched jaws in the theater which was like one of my absolute favorite movie going experience like spielberg remixed the entire like sound for the movie and i think watching that after watching nope made me sort of like understand it made me appreciate nope even more because nope is basically this big ode to the blockbuster it's a big ode to like these big epic high concept films that are just sort of like about like survival and about like humans trying to like 
face down some sort of like insurmountable odd that's like kind of supernatural but not really that's the other twist that i absolutely love about nope is that we never and yeah i think the, the biggest issue with like audience members with nope is that it didn't spoon feed enough it didn't like explain things enough to the audience but i loved that i love that Me we too. never find out where the alien we never find out where jean jacket comes from jean jacket might not even be an alien from outer space jean jacket might just be some sort of creature that just popped up out of nowhere like that's what I enjoyed about it too. And he's always been good about that. Like us does speed, spoon feed a lot to the audience, but there's still like a lot that doesn't necessarily like perfectly add up. And obviously that's the same with, with get out too. Like these are movies, these are fictional plots. So like you're meant to go into it, not, not having everything be completely like, okay, this is exactly how it would happen in real life. It's like, yeah. no, this isn't how exactly how it would happen in real life. It's a horror fiction movie yeah um, all i ask is that people create universes that are consistent with themselves exactly and if you're not doing that then at least just embrace it go full lynchian go full like absurd surreal shit right and i think that's that's what's been lost nowadays in horror is like this effort to like show the audience exactly what they're seeing at all times and make sure that they're always in the loop like they don't always you don't always have to be in the loop um mm -hmm. you really don't and i think that this takes a lot from uh from his growing up enjoying horror it also takes a lot from like hitchcock and a mm -hmm. lot of the shots that you see are very hitchcockian as they say um i just think this was a beautiful movie it yeah. may rise on my list soon on a rewatch but for now i have it at third yeah. um in general i would say to anyone who hasn't become a peel enjoyer as they call it over the last couple of years to really take a deep dive into his movies they're fantastic and um watch them in the order they came out watch them in any order you want but i would say definitely consume nope because it's fantastic and mm -hmm. consume it as the uh as jean jacket consumed those those folks in the oh desert. god that scene horrified me <laughs> you know one thing that i really liked about jean jacket is that in most horror the monster is like gross and like grotesque and disgusting oh, this yeah, gave like me film... this guy looks like a film camera like yeah it kind of gave me the vibe of obviously in the thing, there's like the monster is kind of gross at times, but for most of the movie, it's just people and like there's nothing disgusting yeah, about the movie, yeah. yet you're petrified. In this movie, it's kind of the same thing. Like it's like a piece of cloth moving around, but yeah. you're so scared because it's just like you're like, what is this? Number one. And number two, it consumes people and like kills them in like a weirdly yeah. clean way, but it's like very disturbing. And I really yeah. appreciated that. I also appreciated that it's kind of the opposite of of uh, of Gordy's home, where Gordy is like absolutely destroying everything in his sight. He's like pounding people's heads in, and it's like really graphic. And now it it it's so graphic that um, Stephen Yoon's character, as a child, believes he can tame him because he's able yeah. to like get the fist bump and all that. Yeah, um, nearly. This is the, another detail I love. The reason that he's able to like get the fist bump out is because Steven Yun's head is like being covered by the tablecloth, so he's not actually directly looking at Gordy in the eyes, which is another like very common theme and image throughout the movie. Is like these like I uh, like eye imagery, like all of that like stuff in in doing with animals and like looking that uh, lots of things to chew on with the film, you know. Most definitely. Um, and I also really just, as we, we keep mentioning the message of it, but I, um, I appreciate how much he draws from real life 
this is obviously something that has happened. <laughs> like people have been mauled by. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, Travis, the um, chimp, like yeah. that's like the big one. No. Yeah. I just, I think the other thing about the movie that I absolutely love is that in horror movies, I think a lot of characters are a little too passive. I think too many individuals are like horrible things are happening to them. And that's where the horror comes from. Whereas the two main characters in Nope, uh, M and OJ, they're actively like going out, trying to get this footage, trying to find this monster. They're actively, they, they have a lot of, they have so much agency for like horror protagonists, which is just great because we, like the last time I had that was like, I don't know, like The Haunting of Bly Manor, which was like, I mean, The Haunting of Bly Manor is like a very different show compared to something like Nope. It's a lot more like gothic romance type shit where we're like the horror elements are like put on the back burner to just talk about the characters but this is more like horror with characters who actually have agency which is great this isn't the inescapable monster where like you see it in a field and now he moves to a new farm and it appears again and it's like haunting his existence both are like you know jordan peele or sorry not jordan peele daniel Kaluuya's character and kiki palmer's character like it's like following mm-hmm. them no they're actively no. seeking it out they're calling yeah. it towards them yeah um, it's an animal it has very specific patterns and like consistent like logic that it follows it's great you know, <laughs> it's really great. And and I enjoy that because it also um, that's sort of the difference between his last two movies is like the last two movies. These people are are victims in this situation. They're sort of victims, but they, they really want to get this on film. Yeah. The, the, the only pe- the biggest piece of victimization is when their father gets killed by Gene Jacket exactly. by accident at the beginning of the movie. So, by the way, Keith David, shout out. Yes, I love Keith David. He's one of my favorite character actors, also from The Thing. So. <laughs> yeah, true. I, actually, I didn't think about that. That is sort of a weird tie-in to to The Thing because I thought that I thought there were a lot of parallels to The Thing in this. Um, mm-hmm. Even just the way it starts, you really just have like no idea what's happening. I feel like a lot yeah. of horror movies now they give you something like right away to like draw you in that is like pretty obvious, um, yeah. like The Conjuring. You know, I mean, like that was considered at its time to be like a renaissance of horror but looking back on it these are such better crafted movies yeah exactly i think like the the three like horror directors that i'm just really like honing in on i used to think ari aster but ari aster is like he's taking forever to like make his next movie and like robert eggers the northman wasn't really a horror film it was more of like an epic like like historical action drama and like I think like Jordan Peele and Mike Flanagan are like two of my current favorite horror directors. I think both of them are just really like like Jordan Peele is focusing specifically on the movies, but in terms of like horror television, I think Flanagan is really excelling right now. I'm very excited for his next show that's coming out in like a couple of days, actually. <laughs> Not a James Wan guy. Uh well, I mean, he's working on like big action blockbusters now and stuff. I did enjoy Malignant, but I didn't really enjoy it for like being a horror movie. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah <laughs> no malignant was I'm very fun though <laughs> it was a very fun movie <laughs> yeah i've always enjoyed the conjuring is like a popcorn movie for a group of people on like a friday night but then these are like films like really good films um by jordan peele by roger robert eggers mm-hmm. and um and then yeah i would i would put ari aster as as really top notch i mean we'll see what happens upcoming but for me, I've always got kind of, Joaquin Phoenix. So <laughs> true. I've always kind of thought of Jordan Peele and Ari Aster as like one and one A for just like late 2010s horror. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see what they bring to like the 2020s. Yeah, absolutely. but um, but we'll see. I'm sure someone else will come out of the woodwork too. In any case, leaving it off, we have. 
pretty different list, though. It sounds like we both have Get Out above us. So in conclusion, I had Nope, followed by Get Out at number two, and coming in third was Us. What about you, Mm -hmm. Vincent? Just to recap. Yeah, that's the same thing. I number one, I have Nope, but number two, I have Get Out, and at number three, I have Us. Yeah. It's basically oh, like wait, I, I think t- I just I, re- I just totally reversed my list. Yeah, you reversed your list. <laughs> Did I let you talk me into that? No, okay. I, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> stick with what I had. I'm gonna stick with what I had. I'm gonna go back and put Get Out first because I was so mesmerized by Get Out the first time yeah. that I watched yeah, it. So I'll go great. Get Out and then I'll go Us and then I'll go Nope. I don't know why I just like caved immediately <laughs> because you're it's because you're a film college graduate now. I just oh yeah, of really. Course. I have a I have a degree in screenwriting. That means I know what I'm talking about for some reason. <laughs> I know having being from New Jersey and having a degree in screenwriting is the most powerful like thing in existence. Yeah, I'm like the new Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast, Vincent. I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, any final thoughts on news, current events, anything? Questions, comments, concerns? Um, no questions, comments, concerns, just a recommendation. I think considering how much you're a big fan of horror, I think you should check out some of Mike Flanagan's TV shows on Netflix. He's made The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass, which is probably my favorite of the three. I think I just, I've been recommending it to everybody like for the past like year. So I just think everybody should watch them and, you know, just, uh, you know, let's, let's have a fun time at the movies with Nicole Kidman. Uh, (laughs) wonderful well i've always uh i've heard great things about those so i'm definitely gonna check them out check out mike flanagan all right thank you vincent and thank you everyone for listening again if you have a question or you would like to suggest a topic we're probably going to do another uh fan question sequence in the next podcast so if you want to leave us a question you can hit me up on instagram at patrick underscore breen or at pop culture nerd you can also email us at pop culture nerd two at gmail.com this is patrick breen signing off